You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Alex Varallo. Alex, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, Glenn. Good evening, Jet Nation. All right, so Alex, as you know, we uh, we covered the offensive side of the ball last week as a draft preview episode. We gave our top players at each position, and uh, we threw in a few sleepers along the way, guys that we thought, uh, that for one reason or, or another, we liked more than maybe some people do, or guys that aren't being talked about all that much. Um, I got to be honest, we'll do we'll do the defensive side of the ball tonight, but I don't know about you, Alex, but every time I log on and uh, and go to like the draft network and do a and do a mock just to kill some time or to see what they're doing with their rankings and where players are falling. Um, <laughs> I, I don't spend a whole lot of time on defense. I really don't. I, I find myself using like uh, six, seven picks on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, listen, it, it's fun to do. And I, I think I said it last week until until we go through free agency. It is kind of it is just that it's 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 something for fun to kill a little time because I can sit here. We can sit here and say the Jets have to draft at least two, if not three offensive linemen. Well, if they go out and sign three offensive linemen, they're certainly not going to draft three offensive linemen. Um, not early on anyway. I mean, you, you figure you figure if they go out and sign, uh, you know, we, we've talked about, about Thune, we've talked about Conklin, we've talked about Scherf. I mean, if they go out, if they retain Beecham and sign a starting guard and a starting right tackle, and that really they, they, could, they could retain. Listen, you go Beecham, Lewis Harrison, and a stud right guard and a stud right tackle, I, I think you're, you're a much better football team. Um, and I don't think you go out and use three draft picks and three free agents on the offensive line. So um, we're talking about it and we'll cover it. But, you know, Alex, I saw that tweet you sent out the other day. And, um, you know, hoping that there's a way that the Jets address all of their, all of their needs on the offensive line so that come draft time they can take Isaiah Simmons. And it, it, as crazy as it sounds, if they were to do that, if, if you're the Jets and you go out and you – and you add a, a starting guard, a starting center, and a starting right tackle, and you bring Beecham back, you're kind of in position to take a guy like Isaiah Simmons. And fans might not like it uh, because we're so focused on the offensive side of the ball, but I just I would file it under highly unlikely, but at the same time not impossible, and we're not going to know until free agency what, what the chances are and, and how likely it is. So – so for you personally, how 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 focused are you when when you're when you're looking at this draft? How much time are you spending on offense compared to defense? Oh, it's it's probably somewhere between eighty twenty or seventy thirty split, where I'm I'm viewing more offensive players than defensive players, and the only defensive players that I've been keeping an eye on here, you know, majority of them have been <clears throat> versatile linebackers that plug-and-play in a 4-3 or 3-4 defense, um, obviously edge position. 
and cornerback. Those have pretty much been the top three defensive um, position groups that I'm keeping an eye on because that's where I, I feel that the Jets um, obviously have specific needs. Um, you know, when you look at the defensive line, uh, you know, that's one of the few good things on this roster that you can kind of say from the former regime um, did pretty well putting together a good defensive front as far as, you know, stopping the run and, and plugging gaps and things like that. And as far as the linebacker position interior wise, uh, we're pretty deep in that aspect. Uh, we may not have the healthiest players, but um, you know, with Mosley, uh, Williamson, Cashman, uh, you know, and then, you know, who knows if Hewitt or, or Burgess is going to come back, but as you know, the interior aspect is fine. We know our safeties were good. We have some young corners that we could deal with, but we clearly need improvement there. And, you know, the Jets will be considered uh, to be a top 10 defense in my mind, if they can find a pass rusher and figure out a way to, you know, get more sticky corners on the outside. So, you know, respectively, if I were Joe Douglas and and looking at, you know, the projections of the offensive linemen and the tackles, as we've talked about at length the last few weeks, you know, there is a possibility that one of the top four, one of the top five offensive tackles might fall into our lap. Um, but to go into the draft and have an opening void at left tackle or at right tackle and hoping that that scenario falls into your lap is probably not the best game plan. So that's why I kind of feel like let's see how much the Jets can get done in March as far as maybe you, like you alluded to, you bring back Beecham, you find a Connor McGovern to play center, and maybe we make a big um, contract offer to Jack Conklin. Now you have three starters on the offensive line going into the draft, and then you can use day two picks to find your future guards. Or like you said, let's exercise an option with Alex Lewis. Um, you know, maybe there's some flexibility in Chuma Adoga who I seem to think is going to be a large factor in how this offensive line shakes out. I, I've heard from Bleacher Report, and I've heard uh, from Connor Rogers that the Jets are very high on Chuma Adoga playing right tackle for this team. So if that is a reality that we're going to have to, to deal with moving forward, then we may not be going after Conklin. We may be looking at a, a Thune or a possible Brandon Treff, uh to play guard instead for our big offensive line signing. So, you know, I, I can uh, understand that, you know, we don't want to uh, spend absurd contracts on, on on a whole bunch of free agents and try to build our team through free agency because that is not a good uh, or lucrative plan to turn things around for your team. But with the way that the Jets situation is on the offensive front, uh, what, what other options are there um, besides trading players or you know, future draft capital to get quality starters for the offensive line. So it's not an easy, uh, you know, situation that we have here that can just be corrected uh, overnight, but the Jets have to figure out some sort of aggressive game plan so that they have more options in that first round pick so that we don't miss out on elite, you know, possible defensive edge players or, you know, a versatile guy like Simmons. Uh, but I'll let you uh, throw your two cents in on that. 
No, I think, Alex, the most important thing you mentioned there, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I've probably mentioned it on, on one or two episodes, to be honest. Um, but as I said, sometimes I forget what I say on the air because I, I waste so much time just sitting there thinking about this stuff to myself, and, and, and sometimes I wonder if I brought it up yet. But mentioning Chuma Edoga, one thing that I looked at a couple weeks ago, and I don't think I've ever looked this up before, not, not this early anyway, because it's, it's one of those things that's going to happen. You don't really worry about it. But when you look at, at mini camps and OTAs and things like that, uh, and and I would imagine that it's it's kind of set up this way. I'm sure teams like having it this way. That the Super Bowl will have been a couple months away, or you know, a couple months behind, and really a few months if you didn't make the playoffs. It's been a few months since you played a game. But when the Jets get together, and I remember here uh, hearing a GM talk about this once. And saying how these a lot of these OTAs, these these mini camps, the off season stuff, it's you're not doing a whole lot, but the main thing you're doing is getting your eyes on the players and making sure like you know this dude didn't put on 25 pounds in the last couple months, or that guy's you know th- this guy's working hard, this guy's not. And to me, I think that one of the top things the Jets have to be looking for when that pre-draft mini camp OTA rolls around because I think it's a couple weeks before the draft is Chuma Adoga because as we've said a million times I've said it you've said it you've seen it written you've heard it said by other fans and other prognosticators and media whatever the guy he's got solid technique he's got to get stronger now if they show up and Adoga looks like he's been you know hitting the weights and he looks like a much stronger guy well, now maybe, I mean, by then, really, you might have signed Conklin by then. But maybe you look at Adoga, and, because, I mean, really, I think it's a bad job if you don't go after Conklin and you just kind of assume, well, we're, we're sure Chuma's going to come in looking great, because he might not. Um, but if they feel like Adoga has, is doing what they're asking of him and he comes in to, to minicamp, not, not preseason camp, but, you know, OTAs, if he comes in looking stronger and the draft is rolling around, then they, that does alleviate at least one need. I mean, I think Adoga, and this is what I was thinking about when I was thinking about this the other day, Adoga and Bless Austin, who I think did enough to earn him. I mean, he's got to be, they've got to be looking at him as a starter for next year. But I think they're going to want to see a little progress. They're going to want to make sure he's managed to stay healthy and that his medicals, you know, that he, when he checks in with the team, that he's healthy. And, that really saves the Jets two, two ro- not roster spots, but, but, but two more spots they don't have to worry about in the draft. Um, and if they say they sign a, a starting caliber corner in free agency, which I believe they will, and then Bless Austin comes in looking great, I think they can look at it and say, you know what, we don't have to worry about taking a corner in the first couple of days of the draft. Maybe you take one in the sixth or seventh round, but with what they got out of the, you know, what what they got out of uh, out of. Uh, the the third, fourth, fifth corners last year, they weren't that bad. So you know, Mollett wasn't that bad. Mollett was pretty solid. If he if he's your you know number three, number four corner, that's not a bad thing. So I think if you know mentioning Adoga, I, I think he's a key. Now if you sign Conklin and then Adoga comes in looking like a stud, then maybe you say, all right, we're we're gonna let this guy play right guard if they think he can. I know I saw some, you know, I, I mocked the Dogan of the Jets last year, and I like the fact that, uh, you know, from what I saw from what the games that I watched him play at USC, 
and I was reading that I remember reading from some other you know uh, analysts that they they thought he could kick inside to guard and play guard or tackle. So if the Jets feel the same way and they go out and sign Conklin, and then Adoga comes in looking like he's ready to roll, then you can say, all right, you know what, he's our right guard, and you know we and and maybe that's why you get a, a guy like Thune. You know, Thune's your left guard and. Adoga's your right guard. Conklin's your right tackle. I mean, whether or not they'll sign two big ticket O linemen, we'll see. I don't know. You know, as we've said, they they've got money. Uh, do they have enough to sign three big ticket guys? I don't really think so. I mean, of course they could get creative with how they spread the money around, but we'll see. It'll get interesting. But I I don't think I've ever t- taken the time before to look at the OTA and, and off season workout schedule this early. For that very reason, I was thinking about the draft. I was thinking about how to allocate the picks, and I just thought to myself, "Man, when when do they get a look at Adoga? How close to the draft do they get to see him?" And it's not that far out. So if they think him and Austin are ready to roll, you know, you you mentioned Blake Cashman. He's a guy we liked what we saw on the field, but he's just he, I don't think he's a guy you can rely on. You know, injured in college multiple times, and then gets injured his first season in the NFL. He's a guy that you look at and say, if he has another year where he misses eight nine games, he's getting cut. You know, he's going to have that label and you're not going to keep a guy who misses that much, that much time. But uh, moving, moving swiftly along, Alex, um, this will probably be a fairly short show tonight, folks. Uh, you know, not like not crazy short, but uh, I got to uh, I'm getting up. I'm, I'm going to Belgium in the morning, so I got a long drive. Uh, so oh, I thought nice. maybe I thought maybe sneak in an extra half hour, 45 minutes of sleep. So um, that's why we started the show a half hour early. And we may end it sort of 15 minutes early, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. But uh, let's 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 get to business here, Alex. Let's start along the D line. Um, I will say this: if you go to JetNation.com, which you should, by the way, you should always be checking out JetNation.com. Check out the front page, check out the news, the updates, and check out the forums. Most active jet Jet fan forum on the internet gets a little bit crazy. Don't take it personal. It's a good time among Jet fans. But uh, check them out. So, uh, Alex, I posted an article yesterday. Actually, wrote it yesterday. It went up today. Um, Jets, J- Jets general managers over the last nine drafts have taken at least one defensive lineman in eight of the last nine drafts. With the way Fuller runs of Kyle Phillips, Nathan Shepard played last year, the way they upped their game, adding them to McClendon, to, to Anderson, drafting Quinn and Williams, no D lineman this draft. None. I don't um, unless you have a guy with like a second round grade who some for for some unknown reason is available in round six. Fine, pull the trigger. I can live with that. And even then, I kind of can't. But it would be understandable. But if they take a D lineman, no, don't take a D lineman. So I'll, I'm not going to spend a great amount of a great deal of time on these guys. Um, my my top guys. I would imagine my top two are the same as everyone's top two because these two guys just look like absolute monsters. Um, Derek Brown out of Auburn and Javon Kinlaw out of South Carolina, who look like an absolute beast. Um, I also like Ross Blaylock out of TCU. Those would be my top three. Um, in terms of sleepers, with, with the again, with the amount of time for me personally that I've, that I've spent looking at the D-line, uh, you know, there's really no one that's jumped out at me because I've I've spent so much time looking at the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Robert Windsor out of Penn State, I I watched a little bit of him, and I you know I like the he's got a great motor. Uh, he's one of those guys that just he, he you know never stops going. 
and he looks like he looks like he might be able to do some damage on the inside on the on the interior D line. Uh, probably a late round pick, but he's probably the only guy that I've noticed that jumped out at me a little bit. And uh, that that's really about it for me on the D line, Alex. What do you got? Uh, I'm in the same boat as you are. Uh, Derek Brown one, Kinlaw two. Um, I like what I've seen out of Neville Gallimore at Oklahoma. Um, and besides that, uh, I caught wind of him because he was getting a lot of traction at the Senior Bowl. Uh, Jason uh, Strobridge out of North Carolina. Uh, you know, there's a couple of guys here. Raquan Davis from Alabama, Richard Lawrence out of LSU. These are all going to be good interior defensive linemen that, you know, maybe they can play inside and um, – like interior defensive tackle and defensive end if you need to. Uh, and I say this wholeheartedly, I hope none of these players are on our roster for 2020. Because uh, like you alluded to, we are that's probably one of the deepest positions that we have on the, on the roster. It's got to be the deepest. It's got to be the deepest position. So many of those yep. guys could, just, could start on, on a lot of teams. So Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, again, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So. Yeah, that Please was that Douglas. was huge do, to, have, right to have three guys to have three guys come in and really make a leap um, to what was already a pretty strong group. Um, you know, good luck cracking that lineup for any young guys. Uh, now, listen, you want to bring some guys in as undrafted free agents? Have at it. Don't care. Bring in some bodies for camp. But as far as draft picks, no way. Um, so that brings us. We're going to go to the edges now. Uh, the edge rushers. These guys, a little bit of outside linebacker, something. You know, D D end outside linebacker. So many hybrids nowadays. I get, I get, it bothers me when people say like, you call that guy an outside linebacker. He's a defensive end. And it's like, man, some of these guys just do everything equally, like whatever they're needed in whatever particular spot. But uh, for me personally, I mean, Chase Young, you know, having said, don't take a, D, a defensive yeah. player. Dude, if that guy, you know, if, if for some reason he was there at 11, take Chase Young like that. I don't care. Um, that guy's going to be yeah, a somebody game alluded for you. to trading up to try to go grab somebody. No. And I said, if it's not Chase Young, then I don't want to hear about no. it. <laughs> yeah, you don't trade up at all. That that would be absolutely foolish. Um, AJ Eponese is a guy that I was really intrigued with early on. I thought he was a player the Jets might take a shot at, at 11 if they did want to go with him. This is back when, you know, just a few weeks ago when there were only three tackles that people were talking about as possible top 10 guys, top 11 guys. And my thought process as well, if if the tackles are gone and the receivers are gone, which a lot of mocks had that, then I could live with with Epineza. Um, I'm not even sure. I I feel that way still. I I want to I want a more explosive player off that edge. Um, I like Curtis Weaver out of Boise State quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I think he's a guy who can be a. What's that? No, I'm agreeing. He's one of my top guys too. Yeah, and uh, and Clavon Chase on which. Uh, he, he's he's an interesting guy because you watch Chase on on film, and the spin move, this, the first step, like he does so many things that you think, oh wow, he's gonna be he's gonna be a game changer off the edge. But he didn't. He wasn't a game changer at LSU, where they were loaded, and they were always up by fifty. Like you would think right. that dude should have had twenty sacks because. Oh, every single game he can pin his ears back and go after the quarterback for an entire half. But what do you have? Eight sacks, something like that. So that that worries me a little. Like I know six production, and a half, something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah. Production isn't everything, but some stuff like that jumps out at me. I'm like, that just doesn't make sense. 
Um, he, he missed all of 2018 after his first game, too. Um, I'm not sure what the injury was specifically. might have been lower ankle or knee related, but yeah, you know, those are flies he, that we have to be aware of now. When we're, especially we're especially when you're talking like first-rounders. Yeah, especially when you're talking first-round picks. Yep, but uh, Joshua Uchi out of Michigan, he's a guy that I really like. Daryl Taylor out of Tennessee, I, I, I mentioned him as a guy that not I, I don't see it. I see a lot of people raving about him. Watched a, a, a one of – granted, it was only one game. I, I didn't have as much time as I would have liked, but I watched a, a Tennessee game the other day, and I'm just watching him. He's not doing anything that's making me say, oh, wow, like he, that guy can do this. That. Like he looked like a good player. But second round, third round, where people are talking, okay, it was one game. Maybe it was, you know, I'll, I'll watch some more of him. But uh, Utah Bradley Ane or Ane Ania, he, uh, I've heard it pronounced a few different ways, and I, I need, I need to go to Utah's official site and see how they have it listed. But uh, you know, he Bradley blew up the Senior Anai, Bowl, of course. I'm not mistaken, but that was at the Senior Bowl when I was watching him. Yeah, and but, um, yes, I've heard multiple pronunciations as well. Yeah, and the guy that I mentioned to you uh, a couple weeks ago at a Charlotte small school dark horse, Alex Smith, uh, Alex Highsmith, um, mm-hmm. is a guy that I like out of Charlotte. Uh, probably a project guy, but I think he might be a decent player. And um, that that covers it from the edge guys that I've really actually one more I want to throw in there. Pardon me, uh, Utah State. Have you have you watched any uh, typical AI at all? Uh, Utah State. He's a guy. No, I, I have not seen him. No. Yeah, give him a look. He's one of those guys. The concern, from what I've read, is he's had some off-field stuff. He's had some suspensions. Um, I okay. can't even remember what it's for. I can't. A bar fight, something like that. Uh, something. Let's see. Uh, yeah, he he assaulted another student or two students or something like that. So he uh, he was suspended for that. But you watch him on film and you think. If this guy can get his head on straight, it's it just really explosive first step. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to be 6'5", 240, somewhere in there. Uh, give him a look when you get a chance, Alex, and see what you think. He's someone that I looked at and thought, man, now if this guy, because of the character stuff, if he falls to round 5'6", and you think you can get his head on straight and get him on the right track, I, w- I would absolutely take that guy. I think he'd be a steal in that spot. Um, even if he's at the, as a project, he's he's got some uh, – you know, he, he does a good job of, of getting the quarterback, basically, and, and pressuring the quarterback. So, a, uh, a guy with a, you know, a good motor. I, I, I watch two of his games. I try to watch three on, on each player. Um, and we've talked about, you know, how some people post the condensed games, which is super helpful. Um, but I watched, I watched a couple of their games, and I came away really impressed with him. And uh, I think if you can get him in the late rounds, you, you go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll only add on just a few players here to the edge position that, that I've had my eye on. Uh, one of them, Zach Bond out of uh, Wisconsin. Now he may be more uh, labeled as like the outside linebacker with edge ability. Uh, I just see kind of certain characteristics from, from other players uh, in the past, kind of like a, like a TJ Watt. I don't think that would be his ceiling, but you can kind of see like a little bit of the pedigree there somebody that uh, has a good head on their shoulders against the run, um, not a liability, um, maintaining outside containment, uh, can give you an, an effort sack here or there, uh, more or less somebody that, you know, if we don't end up getting like a Jordan Jenkins 
this could be somebody that, you know, day one would fill that style of role. Um, Alton uh, Robinson out of uh, Syracuse is an interesting prospect. Uh, It's probably just more of like measurables. Um, The guy's just a a huge dude, like 6'5", around 265, 270 range. So maybe he gets pegged as a defensive end. But, you know, from what I've seen, he can rush in a two-point stance. And then the the edge players out of Alabama, uh, Anthony Jennings and uh, Terrell Lewis. Uh, those are some guys. What, you, what that, are your thoughts on Lewis? I, on. I, he's a guy that I I saw early on. He was getting a ton of hype, uh, but see, right. and maybe just my imagination. It seems he's dropped a bit lately in a lot of the mocks that I've seen. That's what I've noticed too. Uh, I, at first, everyone was saying, "Oh, like this kid will probably be on the back end of the first. and now you just kind of see how he's progressively sliding back on the board. Um, probably a second round pick. Or if you know if someone falls in love with them after the combine and and uh, you know a a visit and the a team workout maybe he he ends up being you know between that twenty five to thirty two range in the first round, but not the only guy that I could say that really just kind of had that wow effect was Chase Young. I kind of group everybody is just completely far and away separated to the abilities of Chase Young. Um, Clavon Austin, I mean, uh, Clavon Chase on, uh, you, like you said, the speed's there, the first step is there, but after that, you don't really, there's not too much that kind of jumps off the, you know, the screen to me. It's like, that's the reason why we should get that guy. Um, but yeah, a lot of these guys probably day two, day three, uh, prospects or, you know, targets for the draft and, I don't see a lot of double-digit sack guys in this league. It's a very hard position, um, especially for young guys. Um, you know, you, you can look at the stats and fall in love with them from college and say, well, this guy had 15 sacks one season. That does not mean it's going to translate it at the NFL level. Uh, but what you hope to find is, you know, a guy that's you know, going to bring his lunch pail and, and kind of be a workhorse and, and, and fight in the trenches for you and, and keep your defense honest is kind of what you want from the outside position because outside of Chase Young, I don't see any elite pass rusher specialists out of this class. So more or less try to find somebody that is equal or better to Jordan Jenkins or otherwise, you know, let's go best, best player available on day one and day two. All right. So moving on to the secondary, we talked, you know, we mentioned corners really the only, I mean, it's not even worth looking at the safeties to be honest. I mean, unless you want to try to figure out what safety they might take in round seven, if they fall and even that just don't do it. You don't need it. Um, nope. But now at corner, of course, you know, there's Jeffrey Okuda. I think he's the, he is the consensus number one corner in this draft. Uh, Kristen, Christian Fulton out of LSU is a guy that I like. Everybody likes a guy that I like. Like, everyone's not talking about him. Um, and a guy uh, out of Ohio State, Damon Arnett, is another player that I like. But really, I'll, I'm, I'm not going to steal your thunder. I'm just going to say, Alex, I hadn't watched much of, much of this guy the other day until you mentioned him on Twitter. Uh, Jeff Gladney out of TCU. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus, this guy looks like an absolute monster. And then uh, the last guy I'll mention in terms of an you know, early rounder I, I mentioned the other day, um, A.J. Terrell out of Clemson. He didn't look great in the national championship game, and someone mentioned that to me, and I'm like, I, I, I hate that. I, I can't stand that, Alex. 
It's a it's like the Kelvin Beecham thing. Comes up a player, it's, right? Yeah, it's like it's like the Kelvin Beecham thing. Oh my God, he got his ass kicked by Miles Garrett. Yeah, because Miles Garrett is a much better player. Like you don't not sign guys because they looked bad against arguably the best in the business. That I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, you're going to cut every corner who gives up a touchdown to Julio Jones? Like, listen, there are some players in the league who are on a different level. And you don't judge a guy based on the one or two games they had against a guy who's on that level. Um, so, yeah, Terrell didn't look great in the national championship game. Guess what? <laughs> Neither did every, every other corner that played against LSU. So you can't hold – I'm, I'm not going to hold it against them. Uh, Cameron Dantzler is an interesting guy from Mississippi State. I've seen him mocked all over the place. I'm not sure where he's going to go. But a couple guys from Florida State that intrigue me. Uh, Stanford Samuels III, who's uh, – I, I think he, he's an interesting player as a, as a late-round, sixth, seventh-round type guy. And Levante Taylor. And there, there's actually someone I'm leaving out, and his name's – no, that was it. Because I always think of uh, <laughs> Kendall. Uh, Kendall Vildor. He's a guy that I mentioned in a tweet a few weeks ago as a possible late, late-rounder. But that that was based largely on where I was seeing him ranked by a few different sites. And then all of a sudden, I think Matt Miller, uh, Bleacher Report, mocked him to the Jets in kind of round five, somewhere in there. But small school guy out of Georgia, Georgia Southern, impressed at the Senior Bowl, had himself a decent game against LSU during the season. You know, not great, but as I said, nobody was great against them. But in terms of late round guys that I've watched that I like, uh, it would be Vildor and um, Levante Taylor out of Florida State would probably be the the top my top choices for those those and Stanford Samuels the third out of Florida State those late round guys as possibilities. Uh, what do you have there, Alex? Yeah, just throwing a couple names here. Um, Trayvon Diggs is an interesting prospect that I remember you know doing like, obviously you know we had an abysmal season and I started doing some uh, college watch far too early so week three. in 2019. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, Trayvon Diggs really uh, stood out to me. Obviously, the pedigree, his brother Stephon Diggs plays wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings. Diggs was a wide receiver that was transformed in, or switched sides to play corner. So he has receiving skills, uh, very good hands. Uh, but I'd seen Or he doesn't have receiving in skills, the mid- which is usually what gets, usually gets you moved to corner. Well, that's true. If you have really good hands, then you'd be playing receiver, not corner. Good point. Uh, yeah, I got, I got you. I know, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. So th- he's, you know, a special athlete. Uh, early on at Alabama, they used him uh, as a returner. And, uh, you know, he's just one of those physical man kind of corners. And, you know, if he slides out of the first round and he's still available, I think at that 48th, 49th pick that we have, uh, you know, if you're looking at a player like Trayvon Diggs or A.J. Terrell, like you said, um, maybe even a Jeff Gladney, because I, I feel that Jeff Gladney will climb the board more and more as we get co- closer to April. Um, that would be a great day two pick. And I think that any one of those three that I mentioned, Diggs, Terrell, or Gladney, uh, would be great opposite of, you know, if it's Bless on Austin or, you know, whatever Joe Douglas comes up with. And uh, just a couple sleepers that I have on my list here. Uh, Bryce Hall out of Virginia is very interesting. I like what I saw out of him. He could possibly be, uh, you know, on that that second round option as well. And then later, um, 
let's say if we don't target uh, corners day one or day two because we get somebody in free agency, I think I would give a look at Lavert Hill uh, as a future nickel corner out of Michigan and then Amik Robertson out of, I think, Louisiana Tech. Just watching him the other day, uh, extremely passionate. Uh, you can see by the body language that he's – you can just tell when a guy's talking in the receiver's ear and trying to get under his skin. You can see that he plays that little mental game to how can I get this guy, you know, off his game and, and not thinking about what his offense is doing, thinking about just me. And you can see how the talking and uh, just the passion that he plays with, um, you know, after he tackles somebody, regardless if it, he blew him up or not, he'll be – flexing his muscles and clenching his fists. So you got to like players that play with a lot of passion. I, I think that's something that Joe Douglas was talking about, guys that are really, really into it and, you know, uh, live it, breathe it, and sleep it. And um, Anik Robertson is definitely an interesting uh, prospect. All right, so that brings us to uh, a safety spot where I don't know about you, Alex, I'm – I'm a big fan of LSU DBs, a lot of them. I mean, LSU players in general. But, they, you know, the way Penn State was known for so many years for linebackers, it seems like LSU just churns out, you know, quality DBs consistently. So I'm putting Grant Delpit at the top of my list for safeties. Uh, I like Antoine Winfield Jr. out of Minnesota. And also uh, Xavier McKinney out of, you know, another Alabama guy. As far as sleepers that I've seen, again, trying to go a little – sort of mid-late rounds here, dig a little deep, um, at least in my, in my estimation, a guy who I don't think is projected to go that high is uh, Reggie Floyd out of Virginia Tech. Seems to cover a lot of ground, and, uh, you know, he's not going to be, again, a, as, as a mid-late rounder. He's just kind of a guy that I think could find himself starting one day. Uh, but really, it's, again, a, a, every time I go through this stuff, every time I'm doing draft homework this year, I just I find myself looking at a few defensive guys, and then it's like, all right, back to the O line. All right, you know, back to the receivers, and the receivers are just ridiculous. I and mean, we talked about it last week. You just you just can't. There's not enough time to look at all of them. What is it? Fifty five receivers invited to the combine, Alex. That's got to be a record. <laughs> I mean, that has to be a record. It it really does. That's that's just nuts. Fifty five guys who play wide receiver going to the NFL combine, and that. And you know there are going to be some guys who don't get invited who end up making some teams as undrafted free agents because that's just okay. kind of the way it goes. But absolutely nuts, such a deep class. Um, so that's why I keep finding myself getting pulled away. So uh, what are your thoughts on the safeties, Alex? And and I th- I think you've already made it. We've both made it clear. D-line and safety, yeah. unless it's undrafted free agent, I just don't want that happening. Yeah, I think we have the safety positions covered. Um, and, and just to let everyone here know, according to the, the snap counts of the Jets, Marcus May had 1,110 snaps. Jamal Adams had 978 because we know that he missed a couple games due to that ankle injury. Rontez Miles had 21 snaps, and Matthias Farley had four snaps. So clearly Greg Williams is very comfortable with those two safeties. If something changes and we're drafting – uh, a safety or a free agents, um, something bad happened. So that's all I'll really say about the safeties. But if you want me to give you a sleeper, uh, somebody that I can kind of consider a money backer, uh, he, I, I don't know if he, he played the same role as Jabril Peppers did in Michigan, 
But Kalik Hudson has been labeled by different sites as a safety. Other people have him listed as a linebacker. Uh, what I really noticed is that he has very good coverage skills. Uh, so he would probably be your, your coverage linebacker in uh, passing situations. Uh, he can blitz and come off the edge as a box safety or an edge. Um, and he is a special team uh, specialist. I don't know if that's a real <laughs> term or, you know, a word I could use for his description, but basically uh, he's blocked punts. He can play that gunner role. Uh, he'll blow somebody up on, on, uh, on a kickoff. So he just seems like a guy that might be available um, somewhere between that fourth to sixth round range and uh, could easily uh, become like a household favorite. Uh, I think he got the nickname the Viper uh, when he was in Michigan. So Kalik Hudson, pretty interesting guy, uh, an in-betweener, kind of like that Dion Buchanan kind of player. So I would keep an eye on him if I were Jets fans. So that uh, that pretty much wraps up the defense, Alex. And as I said, I, it, listen, it's this offense, th- this draft needs to be – if they come away with more than two defensive draft picks, I'll be shocked. This, uh, you know, of co- unless, of course, they make some moves and add corner. picks. Yeah, if, if, they, if they add some picks, fine. There might be some more defensive players. But if they stand pat where they are, and, you know, and as I said at the top, depends on how free agency goes – but I don't see them. I don't see them going heavy on defense. You know, now if they're if we're projecting they're going to have 80 million in cap space, and they decide to send spend 65 of that on offense, and they fill all their holes on offense, or or you know if, if they rebuild the O line and feel like well we can we can draft a couple receivers because there's you know there's a million of them in this draft, and and we're going to go heavy defense all of a sudden in the draft, and and we've we fixed our O line with our cash. We're going to use two, three picks on offensive players, and the rest is going to be defense. I guess I could live with that, but it, it's just not what I'm expecting, um, and that's why free agency needs to get here and get underway so we know what the hell is going on. But um, that that does cover the defense. Before we wrap things up, like I said, we go a little short tonight, but I did want to mention, or Alex, get your opinion um, on this rumor. Not a rumor. It's it's more kind of guess guessing, speculation, whatever you want to call it. ESPN saying they're expecting the Jets or predicting that the Jets will make a big push for 33-year-old Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah. Uh, I guess <laughs> I guess they're t- making that connection because he played under Gase in Denver. I think I heard somebody joke. I hope they were joking. Niner that Nation gonna, trolling that he was going to that he was going to get the band back together and 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 re-sign Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders and try to recreate what they had in Denver. Um, you Let's know, get Brandon what, Marshall out of retirement too while we're at it. Ten years after the fact, what? Here's the thing: I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's it's somebody taking a guess. But the one thing that crossed my mind, if it were to happen, it would worry me, because it's such a senseless move to to go after a 33 year old receiver when you're trying to build around your young quarterback. That it would make I I would think right away, and I I don't think this is the case now. But if that were to happen, I'd go into like, oh, God, Gase is calling the shots. Like, I don't think Joe Douglas is that stupid. Um, so if he does that, that would be a signal to me that Gase picked Joe Douglas because Joe Douglas is okay with Adam Gase telling him what to do. 
Um, again, I'm not saying that's what I believe. I'm saying if they give Emmanuel Sanders a boatload of money, that's what I will believe. Uh, and, you know, I think that's I think Joe Douglas is here on a six year deal because he wanted more security than Adam Gase has. And he wants to be able to maybe hire a coach if things don't work out with Gase. So I'm not say don't say, oh, you hate Gase. And that's why you're saying he controls Joe Douglas. No, I dislike Gase. And I think Joe Douglas is his own man. If they sign Emmanuel Sanders, I may have to reverse course on that. But uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that? On that? What I would call uh, just silly silly speculative story yeah uh i'm not gonna you know take it take it with a grain of salt you know what i mean it's just kind of like a lot of people are going to be putting out these articles to you know try to twist the narrative and make people think that you know this team is looking to do this or that it's all you know a game that that is played by several teams throughout the off season um you know, Jets really love this player. Jets really love that player, and and then nothing comes, you know, to fruition. So it's just interesting that how that came out. Um, and I I didn't read the whole article. I I only read about the first paragraph or two, and then I just I scrapped it. But uh, it, it would just be completely illogical to me uh, having a receiver uh, that was very good about four or five years ago. Why would we pay him? Uh, you know, a solid contract for what he did in the past. Like you said, he's about 32, almost 33 years old. Yeah, he'll um, be 33 not next much, month. Not much left in the tank, you know. So we've been there. We've done that. We've paid older guys and tried to talk ourselves into hoping that they do more than what they can, and it's just not likely. Uh, we just have to be, you know, real with ourselves here. Uh, you know, if it does happen, like you alluded to, that says a lot about what's going on in the front office and, and how much uh, leverage that, that Gase has here. Um, that would just mean to me that he is not progressing or moving forward. He keeps trying to live in the past and trying to recreate what he once had. And I understand that, you know, uh, you want to go back to what worked for you, go back to your roots for a sec. But the truth is, is that you're not getting that, that version of Emmanuel Sanders that you had when you had him in Denver. Um, if you're looking for somebody that can be a deep threat and stretch the field, well, then that means you should be really, really pushing hard for Robbie Anderson. And the way that I feel about it is that the last two years, the Jets have put a RFA tag, if I'm not mistaken, on Robbie Anderson with a second-round grade on him, and they haven't had any bidders. So that can kind of tell you that the league does not value Robbie Anderson or hold him in as high regard as we Jets fans do. And I think that, you know, we have our green goggles on. Um, I'm not saying that Robbie's not a good receiver. I'm not saying that he doesn't have the potential to put up multiple thousand-yard seasons from here on out. Uh, What I'm just saying is that what we value may not be in the same aspect of other teams and other GMs at this point. I do think that there are GMs out there that do value Robbie Anderson's skill set, and I think that he will be somewhere between 9 to $11 million, and obviously whomever's willing to put that big double-digit contract out there for him, he's probably going to sign with them. Uh, but I just – I wouldn't just, you know, write Robbie off uh, as not being a part of this uh, offensive game plan for the Jets. I, I do think that they're going to try to figure out a way to keep him 
you know, maybe we'll we'll give you more bonus money. We'll extend your contract to six years rather than five, and, and you'll make the money long-term rather than short-term. Who knows what they're going to try to come up with here. But I just kind of feel that people that are putting out like $14 million a year for Robbie Anderson are kind of falling down that wormhole, and you're reading too deep, I believe. And I think that the logical decision to do is to go for the younger guy in Robbie Anderson. Um, I like Emmanuel Sanders. I respect him as a player. I think his time has passed. And uh, I don't think that going for a guy for, you know, in his early 30s for a one- to two-year, you know, $25 million deal or more is going to be the best thing for this team. Well, I th- I think we'll wait and see, Alex, because uh, that's that's somewhere that you and I disagree in terms of Robbie's value. I think that uh, based on the market, based on his skill set, you know, fans get caught up in the box scores, but GMs and scouts they're watching the games, they're seeing how often this guy is open, often this guy is open, and they're missing him. If I'm the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm envisioning Carson Wentz dropping dimes right into Robbie's breadbasket for deep touchdowns. And uh, I think there are going to be a couple teams like that. I'm in that camp that believes he will get in the 13 million range. Um, because look, salaries go up every year, caps go up, and uh, similar players to Robbie have gotten 10, 11, 12 million in the past. So I think Robbie will be in that somewhere 12, 13, 14, and uh, and we'll see. Well, if he gets nine, I would be shocked. I would be floored if he only got nine million. Um, you're right about the second round pick, but I think that, uh, and I've said this for years, and and I'm guilty of it too as a fan. Fans do it, and GMs do it. We we overvalue draft picks. We really do, because to me, when you look at the fact that so many picks are like, especially like third round pick is what like a forty percent chance of making it, and teams often won't part with a third rounder to get a proven starter. Like I understand, like the biggest aspect being the salary part of it. Because normally you're trading for a guy who's coming up on a new deal, and he's going to want big money if he's a good player, and you could get a cheap, you know, a player for thirty percent of that salary. But to me, it's like you're eliminating, you're one hundred percent eliminating the risk of drafting a player who doesn't belong in the NFL. Like if I can, if I can give you a third round pick and get a mid to high level starter who I know, based on history, can play in the league. It's really kind of dumb that teams don't do it more often. And I think, G- and again, I, I do it too. Anytime someone's talking about the Jets making a deal and I hear someone say give up a second rounder, my instant reaction is, no, no, you can't do that. It's too much. Second rounder is too much. But again, it depends on the, I think the two, you're generally getting like an upper echelon established player, which Robbie isn't yet. But I think if you pair him with Carson Wentz or Ben Rot, well, Ben's probably on his way out. But you pair him with a quarterback who throws a nice deep ball with a decent threat on the other side, and I think Robbie Anderson is going to be a 1,300-yard, 12-touchdown guy, um, you know, a lot quicker than people realize. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. But before we go, uh, just a bizarre thing, Alex. You may see, I think I've tweeted this twice in the last month or so because it's, it's, it's every now and then I'll send out a tweet, and I'm like, did I already tweet that or something like it recently? But it blows my mind. This has really – not not a not a lot for this uh, discussion to to uh, or not a lot of places for this discussion to go, but it hit me the other day how crazy it is that looking at the potential between free agency and the draft, there are probably thirteen quarterbacks right now 
who would, well, t- 10 or 11 who would definitely be upgrades over what the Jets had for much of the last 10, 12 years, um, and a couple guys that probably could be. I mean, you just go down the list of free agents, and, and, and you know, you got the draft picks. You got three guys that are probably going in the top 10. And then you get Breeze is going to be a free agent. Brady, of course, he wouldn't be a Jet, but you got Breeze, Brady, Rivers, Bridgewater, who the Jets had, but they had him when they had Sam, so he went. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Mariota kind of a bust, but honestly, if it was between him and, and Sanchez or Geno Smith, I, I would take Mariota. Um, Ryan Tannehill with the year he just had. Some people say that uh, – somebody say Taysom Hill out of, out of New Orleans. It just I look at – and Alex Smith is going to be coming back, who I'd completely forgotten about. He's supposedly rehabilitated yeah. and ready to come back. And I just, I'm like, I feel like every year for, for 10 years as a Jets fan, like I was happy they re-signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like that's how bad and dire their quarterback situation has been for so long that I was mm-hmm. thankful for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Listen, people who listen to the show know I was 100% on board with get Fitz back, re-sign Fitz, give him his money. And I kid you not, when they re-signed him, I celebrated for about two seconds. And then I sat there and thought, this team is so bad that I have to get excited about re-signing Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, this quarterback (laughs) situation has been so bad for so long that I'm excited about Ryan Fitzpatrick. And it, it again has left. We got Sam now. We're good. I'm happy. But I just sat there and thought, all those years of having to get stopgap, average, bum, garbage, overrated QBs, you know, giving guys like Geno Smith jobs, taking Mark Sanchez as early as they did, and and there's probably ten guys this year in free agency who were better than all those guys, or at least at least well, yeah. Every one of them would be at least comparable, um, with the vast majority of them being better. Just crazy. This has to, this has to be an anomaly. Like, when is the last time there were legitimately eight, nine, ten starting caliber quarterbacks in free agency? Um, of course, they haven't all hit free agency, but between that and the draft, yeah, you're probably looking at eight, nine, ten guys who could who could start. And uh, I just don't see that every day, do we? No, not really. And and another thing that I saw to add to this list was that the Cincinnati Bengals are trying to work out a trade to move Andy Dalton. And, yeah, and you know, they've given up on him. They're ready to move on, but there may be some teams out there that are sitting there saying, "I'll take Andy Dalton as I'm, as my backup." You know, quarterbacks are extremely valuable. And if you saw the way that teams were interchanging quarterbacks due to injuries this year, uh, you know, you can't tell me that. Uh, you know, the Steelers who had lost Ben Roethlisberger wouldn't have liked to transition to an Andy Dalton rather than, you know, Duck Hodges. Um, so, or Mason Rudolph. So the thing with know, Dalton, though, with the, with the money he makes, is he going to be willing to take a pay cut? Cause no one's going to pay Dalton that much to be a backup. True. That, that is, you know, true. I, 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 I don't, I, I, I honestly don't know if his deal is structured in a way where the Bengals paid him a boatload up front, and they would pick up the 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 prorated signing bonus, and maybe the new team is only on the hook for you know a little bit of money. As a, as a matter of fact, I'm looking at it, I just pulled it up on over the cap, and we're, now we are going to go an hour, but who cares? Um, Andy Dalton, if they were to cut him, cut or trade, cap hit is zero, cap savings seventeen million. But wow. that's his salary. So anyone who takes anyone who trades for him. 
It looks yeah his his guaranteed base his guaranteed base salary is seventeen point seven million. So nobody's trading for him to be a backup. Um, and yeah, yes, it says here guaranteed money. So that could get interesting. But yeah, I mean, and I didn't even mention Dak Prescott. I forgot him. So that I mean, there's some it's, weird it's, things it's going awesome. on in the NFL right now. Yeah, you just don't see this. But would would you pay Dak Prescott thirty three million dollars, Alex? Is he worth thirty three million? I don't understand where these figures come come out here. I mean, I think he's a good player, and I like the story a mid round draft pick that you know went to the NFC Championship as a rookie with with Zeke, and you know everything seemed really really good. But since that that first year, um, he hasn't gotten the job done. You know, I understand there's a lot of things going on you know, on the Dallas Cowboys with injuries and players, um, you know, being traded and moved around and things like that. But I I just don't know. I mean, you have to bet on yourself and you have to believe in yourself. So I get that. Um, I just don't understand why he feels that he warrants that kind of money. Um, There's, you know, only a couple quarterbacks in my mind right now that would be deserving of 30 million a year. Uh, Tom Brady's one of them. I'd say Drew Brees is another. And if I had to to be a guessing man, the next guy would probably be a Pat Mahomes, which luckily for Kansas City is only a, a couple years away from them having to make that decision. But I, I think I saw the other day they're yeah. already working on a deal with him. But um, already, huh? Wow. Or already putting numbers in place. But yeah, with Dak, I, 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 you know what I would have to see? I would have to see the numbers because I remember early on anyway, his first year or two, his numbers were not good at all when uh, when Zeke wasn't in the lineup. I don't know if that's still the case. I don't know if he still bombs when he doesn't have a great running back. And, uh, I mean, listen, Kirk Cousins got $27 million a couple of years ago. And he, the thing is, he hadn't done a lot more than Dak, but Dak actually has a lot more starts than Cousins had because Cousins was a backup his first few years. So, really, Kirk Cousins got his deal when he was putting up big numbers, but he only had a year and a half under his belt as a starter. So you can kind of look at it and go – well, you know, we we really don't know what he is yet. People were caught up, oh, he's a four-year vet, five-year vet, whatever it was. Yeah, he was, but he was sitting on the bench for most of that, or a large portion of that. Uh, that RG3 was in the plan. Right, right. Dak has started every single game for four years. So he's got, he's probably got more than twice the starts um, Cousins has, and hasn't looked a lot better. Um or, I mean, in terms, you know, hasn't, in terms of, you know, everyone talks about playoff success and all that. He's got one playoff win. Um, whereas, you know, Cousins, what, Cousins got his first one this year. But um, I don't know. There's $33 million for a guy with one playoff win. Sounds like a lot. But then then I try to be fair and say, you know what? Uh, Cousins got $27 million without a single playoff win. So there's something to be said for that. But we'll see. We'll see. Just yeah. – uh, a, a rare few moments of non-Jets talk there, but we are going to wrap things up. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for coming on a little bit early. Time for me to pack my bags to get ready for the morning. And thank you for tuning in, Jets fans. Alex, go ahead and uh, give out the Twitter handle, and we'll call it a night. All right. It's been a pleasure, as per usual. Uh, Jets fans, don't forget to go to JetNation.com for the forums. That's where all the talk is. And uh, you can follow me at NYJetsLife24. Thank you, and have a good night. All right, and also do not forget to check out our sponsor, Miles Social. You're running a business and you want someone to handle all of your social media needs on all your different platforms, 
Check them out at milesocial.com. That is M-I-L-E social, milesocial.com. Thank you so much for tuning in, Jets fans. We will catch you next week. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.